the bells. The whole of Longford is, lives by the bells every quarter of an hour, from 8 o'clock till 10 at night. There's something sacred and serene in the landscapes of County Longford, and something of that calm, contemplative spirit is held in the beautifully restored St. Mel's Cathedral in Longford Town. Here, out of a ruinous fire, something remarkable was restored. Father Michael Grower here uh, in the porch of St. Mel's Cathedral looking at photographs of the devastation of this beautiful building, Christmas Day 2009. And I think you passed by on the day and you saw the aftermath of the fire. Yeah, I just remember getting a phone call that morning. Uh, just stopped in to the presbytery here and there was still smoke bellowing into the sky. It was just a devastating uh, moment for, for the parish and for the town. And uh, It was like losing a friend, you know. It was, it was, it was shocking, it was shocking. And so much history, so much memory, and so much beauty in there. I mean, and, and looking at those photographs, colour, kind of sepia photographs of the charred interior, we could be looking at a bomb scene here, you know, yeah. the roof gone completely. You mm. see the sky, just everything burned, charred. An extraordinary thing that it was restored within a relatively short time. Yeah, five years. Equally, I remember the wow, the wow of that first seeing of it and the real sense of homecoming again, you know Will we, will we step into the restored sure. cathedral sure. And, and see as you say, you know the wow of what has been given back You're listening to The County Measure. I'm Vincent Woods. We're making a journey around Ireland 100 years after independence and partition to get a measure, to get many measures of all 32 counties. We're looking at place, landscape and the people who shape their lives within these boundaries of community and county. In this series, I'm hoping to get a fresh understanding of each county and its people as we shape a Radio Atlas of Ireland. It's, it's, it's beautiful and I just always feel drawn by the altar yeah. I mean, it's just this, like, this huge huge like an anchor there's a sense that you're being drawn into this beautiful beautiful thing and I mean the, 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 the popes and theologians speak about beauty as the, as the gateway into the divine well if, if that's true this, it's certainly true of St. Mel's Cathedral in its uh, muted light those wonderful grey pillars that beautiful domed white stucco ceiling yes and it's a great play on space and light yeah. it's not cluttered it's a, yeah. you go in here and it's, it's just a space and you can almost breathe you can you know um, and the, the windows are particularly beautiful it just there's a different sense every time of the day every time of the year in winter when the sun is low it's, it's, it's just beautiful seeing mass in the morning and just you see the light coming in oh it should blind you and of course Longford has become very multicultural in the last 10 years or so. It feels like there's a ease around that in the community. I mean, would that be an, an accurate reflection? I'm sure you, you see. Be naive to think that, that, yeah. that it's perfect, but there is an ease. There is, a, there is an ease, you know, among the, the different cultures of peoples who have who've come to make their home among us and it's yeah and you're you're originally from Mead but I think you yourself feel very at home now oh certainly I'm certainly I'm not not for not for moving we've a new bishop here so I would say no more (laughs) (laughs) but but no I'm very very happy here great people and I suppose as a priest you get to see the best of people you know that's one of the one of the great things about what we do I mean you, you just see people at their best 
standing here, you know, looking towards the door from the altar. It's a really, really elegant building. It's great. The, the, the silence and the, the silence, the light and the space, it all speaks, doesn't it? It does. Lovely bronze uh, man and woman and suitcase here at the centre of Longford Town uh, Emigration Memorial um, from 2012. I think the year of the homecoming when everyone was encouraged to come back to Ireland, all the people who had left, all the emigrants. And dedication on it, some leave by choice, some by necessity, all are welcome home. Longford Town is handsome and friendly. The long main street is busy with shoppers and strays. An abundance of locally owned pharmacies and boutiques here, a trendy coffee place and old-fashioned cafes, men sitting on windowsills and watching the world go by, chatting away. Here I meet Longford leader journalist Liam Cosgrove and we set off on a walk. Liam Cosgrove, good to meet you. And we're here on the main street of Longford Town, outside the courthouse, where I think you've spent a good deal of time in the last few years. That's right. It's, uh, it's more or less my second home. Uh, it's where I come nearly every Tuesday uh, to report on the, the weekly district court sittings. Beautiful building. A lovely building, yeah. It was revamped there a number of years ago. It's very well done out inside. One of, the, I suppose, the, the most modern uh, courthouses you'd see on the, the Midland Circuit. Your own... Accent, Liam, isn't Longford. No, no, I was originally born in England, uh, in Guildford. And I moved over here then when I was 12 or 13 with my family. been in Longford for the last 15 and a half years. And you're living in Abilara? I'm living in Abilara, yeah, which is, you know, it's the north end of the county. Very rural, lovely and quiet. Probably a little bit too quiet at times for some people, but... Good community there too, isn't it? Good community, good community spirit. Yeah, it has a lot going for the place. You know, everyone sort of pulls together and there's a lot of different community groups of, of, you know, up and running, tidy towns, etc. It's, it's a nice area to live. We'll walk and, walk and talk. I mean, I used to, when I was a kid, travelling to Dublin with my older brothers, you know, to, to go through the t- Longford. So this street was very familiar to me. Mm. And uh, Dublin Street then, we'll be turning on to shortly... All of that, you know, but it was a bottleneck then. It was always jammed. But, and then, of course, the bypass changed all that. So I, I figured that for a good while, Longford would have been struggling with the after effects of that bypass, then the recession. Mm. But there's a feeling somehow now that things have turned. It, it's a different feeling in the time. There is. It's a bit-by-bit bit process, I suppose you could say. Like, the council are trying their best. There's a, um, a regeneration project that's ongoing at the minute. And there's been a number of sort of initiatives in terms of sort of promoting a more of a remote working environment that we now live in, and digital hubs across the county. And in terms of the regeneration, the big project in town here is redeveloping the whole streetscape. The town is certainly lively this Thursday evening. Outside a pharmacy on Main Street, we encounter a long line of women hewing on a red carpet. We couldn't help noticing you. Me? All, all oh, of you. All of us. So we're um, queuing up here for Mrs. Slam, the makeup artist. So she's in there tonight. So there's 150 of us from Longford, which is a fantastic turnout. 
uh, in the times that's in it and we try to shop local as much as we can because it's very important you know it's grand to go off to Dublin for a day shop but I'm really into shop local always have been so it's great to keep it in and we are very fortunate to have lovely shops in it so we don't need to go any further with a lot of our stuff we are I suppose moderate and glamorous and everything like that so we try to keep up with the style as best as we can Chicken, she wants to we have a spare chicken. So in in general, Liam, would you say the county is in pretty good shape, prosperous shape? Is it? We'd say compared to when you started working in in the Longford Leader, how how would you measure the county now? Compared to where where it was, I suppose you know I started the Longford Leader in two thousand and eight, and I would say the town has moved forward in the last number of years. It has had peaks and troughs like a lot of other provincial towns, but it has a lot going for it. Many cultures and communities meet and mix in Longford. Street parades on St. Patrick's Day and Halloween bring a lively blend of people and sounds onto the streets. A new feature here is the sound of samba music as performed by the Bula Bula Samba Band. At rehearsals for this year's Dead of Night Festival, we meet Caroline Lewis. Uh, Caroline, so nice to meet you. Hi, yeah. Vincent. Yeah, yeah, great to have you here. Yeah, so tell me about Samba in Longford. Yes, we've been going for about six or seven years. We play any chance we can get out on the streets. So come Christmas time, we'll run around when all the shoppers are going around. And then if it's a bit boring of a, of a, of a weekend, we'll organise a flash mob or something. And we'll just start appearing all over the streets in Longford and uh, entertain the masses. Because we're just, yeah, that's what we have fun doing. So for, for people who don't know, you know, what is Samba? Samba is, I suppose, a Brazilian, Portuguese. It's, it's, it's a huge cultural mix. It's very African. It's a, there's a lot of different cultures and there's lots of different types of samba. Um, we don't necessarily play a particular style. We play grooves that really just excite us. So they probably come from different genres of, of samba. But samba for us is about like the shaking, the drumming, the lo- loads of different types of instruments. So there are, there are drums and there are bells and there's shakers and lo- gives loads of different sounds. So And the drums have loads of different tones. So there's really high-pitched tones um, on the drums and low-pitched tones. So nobody plays one piece of the music. It's all of the drums together, uh, all the different instruments together that come to make the sound of a groove. You said grooves a couple of times now. Yeah. What are grooves? So the groove is the name that we would give to say a tune or is he caught maybe your piece of music or a song so you, you know there's different words given to what you would call the piece of music and I suppose in samba in Brazilian music they call them grooves and we use hand signals to um, tell people what we're going to play in the groove so all our band members from, you know they come together and um, the leader stands up the front and we'll say we're going into the groove and we'll give like a wavy hand signal and they go they know that's going into the groove okay repetites and bells What's a Halloween groove then? <laughs> for this Halloween, um, we have a lot of new members. We just did a huge big recruitment drive for September and we've had a huge diverse group of people come in. We have people from Ukraine, Australia, all countries out of um, Africa. There's a huge cohort in at the moment and we've had some from um, Portugal. So we're keeping it simple. We have words to help them remember and it's shake, rattle and roll. We're from Longford. So there's one set of drums plays the beat of do. Do, 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 do. and then the other higher beats go do, 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 do. and then there's all these different going in between all of those different so um, when I'm listening to it I can hear them playing shake, rattle and roll I'm from Langford but they're not singing at all they're just playing these musical instruments and it gives all those different tones and it makes that song <laughs> Excellent. How are you? Hello. Hi, Hi. Vincent. Hi. Ah, nice my name is Fakia. Yeah. Tell me about Samba. 
Okay, now this samba is different from what we do in Malawi. Now we just play drums and we have the trainers who are teaching us how to do it. So everybody goes, you play each and every equipment in the, in the group. So it's a versatile, everybody has to do everything. I'm enjoying it, I'm loving it and I can't wait to parade on Halloween. <laughs> You're listening to the County Measure and we're in County Longford. There's a rare serenity in the landscapes of Longford. A quiet beauty, nothing dramatic, but an intact sense of calm order. Bogland and lovely small forests, the fine trees of planters and old estates, monastic ruins, the edge of the Shannon and the connected flow of the Royal Canal. Leave the busy N7 route for many to the Centre Parks Resort near Ballymahan and the quiet roads meander and take you to fine old towns and villages. Lanesborough, Ruski, Abishrul, Abilara, Balnamuk, Moyne. Then suddenly... Here in Varda, one could almost be in the heart of England, in Dorset or Somerset or Kent, in the Cotswolds, in these houses, village built in the 1850s, in kind of local landlord Thomas Featherston employed at the time famous architect John Rawson Carroll to build the village I think according to the design or, or wishes of his wife Frances and there are disputes about whether it's based on an English village or a Swiss village it looks more English to me these very striking houses cut stone latticed windows tall sloping narrow roofs tall chimneys all built around, obviously, on this old site of Arda and uh, the monasteries that go back, allegedly, to St. Patrick, to St. Mel, uh, to St. Bridget. We see all of that reflected here. The Church of Ireland is St. Patrick's, the Catholic Church is St. Bridget's, and a beautiful stained-glass image of Bridget in the church shows her holding a crozier, so equal with Patrick as a bishop, and so much ecclesiastical history gathered here in this place. And here in the local national school, we meet children who are learning about nature and how to grow things in the school's large greenhouse. Hello. Hello. <laughs> this is very impressive now, I have to say. St Mel's National School pupils were given a Nature Heroes Award by an organisation called Biodiversity in Schools, a body that helps schools put nature on the curriculum. So now, will you introduce yourselves to me? Um, my name's Maren Farrell and I'm in fourth class. My name is Charlie McSweeney and I'm in fourth class. My name's Adam Fitzpatrick and I'm in fifth class. My name's Killian Farrell and I'm in sixth class. My name's Oren McDermott and I'm in f- f- sixth class. Tell me about what you grew here. Well, for Easter we had to bring home a, se- like a pot and I brought home beetroot. I think the beetroot is either there or in there. Yeah, I can see the beetroot. It's got purpley stems. Yeah. And then it kind of turns from purple, purple um, stems to kind of green leaves in, like, in the ground. And do you get to eat the veg that you grow? Yeah, we, when the potatoes were good, we brought them home. Great. Yeah. Beetroot is lovely too. Mm-hmm. Who else has grown? I've grown, like, the beans and my class planted some strawberries as well. I planted a turnip here. It's tall green stalk and then it has a big green leaf on the top. And I also planted some beans. We planted them as a class and they grew very well and we got to bring some of them home. And tell me, how did you keep everything watered? 
when you were on holiday? Um, there'd be people for certain days, like one like family would have Monday, and then we'd all, like it was like teamwork to just keep them watered. And if there was any good ones, you'd be able to pick them for yourself and then you'd be able to take them home. And tell me, um, I know that you came second in that national competition, the Nature Hero Awards. Mm-hmm. Was that brilliant? Were you delighted? Yeah, yeah. Um, <coughs> the Nature Hero Awards was a all-Ireland competition trying to promote uh, biodiversity and trying to get students involved in the pr- conservation of nature through education. And we worked to different goals, like to set up the greenhouse and we're also planning on uh, making a pond. It's pretty easy to make since I know how to make one because I love watching uh, videos on people making ponds. Fifth class last year made like bird boxes and uh, we have to feed the birds like every day so we fed them like niger seeds, peanuts, water and like all them different kind of things to keep them well happy and fed. Oh, we're feeding like blue tits, goldfinches uh, and just like all different types of birds like that. Great that you're doing all this. Dead impressed. We've also got bug hotels out there. It's also also a really good place for owls since um, there's lots of woodland and it's a very rural area. This is an owl box and uh, the mother owl would normally come in here and it has to be really deep so then when the mother like has her babies then they can't like jump up and out. We also cut down those all around here, see all there and all down there there were big evergreen trees that were just getting in the way and they weren't really too good. They weren't native as well. So we uh, cut them down and got Brendan Brendan Farrell, our local gardener, and we put in like hawthorn, dog rose and all different types of hedges and hopefully that'll help attract birds and stuff like that. Ah, uh, you've done brilliant work. It's so impressive. Really great. Mark Nolan, uh, you're based here in Longford. Uh, you're the director of Biodiversity in Schools and I think you're very proud of what the kids have done here in St. Mel's and Ardagh. Absolutely, yeah. Like What they've achieved here in the school is, is incredible and we're so proud of them. They've transformed their school and they've made outdoor learning like a, a key part of the school, which which is still unusual in Ireland. And what we hope to do here and with the awards uh, is to just shine a spotlight on that and show other schools that it is possible. It's it's amazing for the kids that the sense of well-being that they get from this type of work is just phenomenal. That'll stay with them for the rest of their lives, and and not just that, but the, the actual nature conservation work as well is is really is very real, and that's what we're just delighted to do with the awards, really to support it with biodiversity in schools. And you saw it there in the greenhouse with the kids. They knew each vegetable. They knew each fruit. They knew every plant. They knew every single species of, of tree that's been planted in the hedge. And, and we really want to get eco-literacy out there more. And that for schools to understand that, you know, there's digital skills, there's numeracy, but there's also like eco-literacy. And in the same way as we focus on sport and music, you know, we need to focus on, on eco-literacy as well. That the kids are ready for a more sustainable world and that they'd understand that language. I'm Satanta, I play barn and guitar. And my name's Dylan, I pl- I'm 19 and I play the accordion. My name's Tomas, I'm 16 and I play the banjo. And together the three of you make up Real O. Dylan, tell us where the name came from. Well, it's, it's an Irish name, so Real Oak, Oak Young, Real, Real Young. formed two years ago two years ago we're coming into our third year now in 2020 when we formed during the pandemic but we would have played together in Kayleigh Bands uh, group Kyoles through our local branch Kyothas the Joe Callahan branch in Edgerton Tomas how would you how would you describe your music I'd say the best word is probably different because we're trying to do our own sort of take on the traditional Irish music not to have it just the same old 
although we do like to keep to some traditions in terms of our music like because uh, we all love the trad but we like to put our own little twist on it to make us different to other bands and what is that twist would you say plenty of variation you know within the tunes and doing new things like we're combining genres of music you know into the trad Are there particular influences? Are there musicians or the groups that have influenced you? As a group, I say Talisk would be a big one, and Bioga, and but we all have our own influences as well. I suppose I started looking up to Tommy Hayes. I say he was the main fella that brought Baron onto the big places after being the original percussionist for Riverdance. So definitely looked at him, and then I think more recently now, like Robbie Walsh and uh, Junior Davy. How would you describe the state of trap music in, in Longford? I mean, is it in a good place? Um, it's definitely strong and thriving, particularly with the revival of the Joe Callahan branch in Edgerstown of the last 20 years ago. And Pauline Flood, Satanta's grandmother, you know, she would have had Im- an impact on us all, you know, encouraging us to start a tune at a session um, and even County Flas and the Provincial and the All-Ireland Fla just two months ago there in Mullingar uh, would have all driven us on and pushed us on and brings us all together as one. So Colthus has been really important in your lives, in your musical development? Definitely, yeah. I mean, they do phenomenal work preserving Irish traditional music from Cayley bands in every county, not just Longford and Group of Keoles, to solos, duets, trios. That's what brought us together as a band. And you're writing a piece for the county measure? Yeah, we are. Uh, <laughs> I think it'll be something really, really special by the time we have it completed. Listening to the County Measure, and we're in County Longford. The ancient pathways of Ireland have no better or more vivid living existence than at Corlay, near the village of Keena in Longford. The boglands here, former Bordnamona sites, are stark and beautiful. At the heart of it all is a remarkable Celtic cross-shaped visitor centre and a preserved section of old road to take your breath away. Waiting for us inside are guides Noel Carberry and Stephen Tobin. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Tell me where we are. Well, you're in Corlea Trackway Visitor Centre. It's... The largest trackway in Europe, so far, that they've discovered. Why was it built? For what reason? By whom? All we can do is speculate on that one. But it was discovered uh, during the Bordemona production season in 1984, when they were producing peat for the power station in Lanesborough. They came down to the level where the timbers were at. So, one of the workers at the time, he was doing a diploma in archaeology, and he reported this to the powers that be. So they came, took samples of the timbers, brought them up to Queens and Belfast, and 148 BC was the, the felling date of the trees. Well, they were accurately able to say the autumn of 148 to the spring of 147. So somebody was busy over 2,000 years ago creating this massive structure, basically, yeah. And am I correct in thinking that it's 
believed to have been part of a really long connection between Rathcrohan and the Hill of Ushnach. Absolutely, it's on the line from Rathcrohan to the, the Hill of Ushnach. And if you follow the line of the track, it would take you to the bridge in Lanesborough, the narrow crossing point on the River Shannon. So, like, you've all different scenarios on was it go, taking you from Ishnuk to Ratcrohan, Ratcrohan to Ishnuk, or was it coming from both places to the River Shannon? Okay, we're going into this domed, low-lit environment. Oh, God, it's so beautiful. So what you're actually looking at is about 18 metres of the preserved section of the trackway. What you have is many different planks of, of oak. So split oak timber on two runners sitting in the centre of the trackway in a sunken section of the room, lined on each side with the pegs that, would have, that were thought to have stabilised and held the trackway in place. And with the low lighting, it is designed to kind of limit the amount of light that is hitting the trackway to help preserve and to keep it intact. It's so beautiful, I have to say. It is really stunning. And as you're looking here through the, 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 the door at the end, you can see the modern-day boardwalk, and you have another 80 metres of the trackway. So the platform at the end is level with the boardwalk outside, and that depth down, you have another 80 metres of the trackway still buried in the bog. And just with how that modern boardwalk runs, because it goes out into a section of what is peatland that's been regrowing for about nearly 30 years, you get to see a lot of the plants, the insects, and just how bogs should really look. You'll see many different species of bees, dragonflies, butterflies, so it is, you get to kind of picture the kind of landscape that these people were dealing with. So you could walk directly from here across these planks, which of course one can't do, but you would, you're then walking straight over the path. You're the over the actual, actual track itself, yeah. And like the thing, what I suppose as everybody has a theory, at this time in Ireland, your herd of cattle was your status, you know? And I was just looking at a, a documentary on, on RTE some time back where a lady from the west of Ireland, Nina Scrone, Sligo, was working with a tribe in the Amazon, in Brazil, and what was happening was developers were moving in, clearing back the forest to create grassland for rearing beef. I'm just questioning, is this possibly what happened here? Because if you want to go from A to B, it's much easier to go around the bog rather than fell almost between three and 400 massive oak trees to create this. So as one archeologist that was talking here, we had the discussion one time and he was saying, was it maybe one tribe taking over the territory of somebody else? So is this maybe like the victory parade into the new territory? And like the oak being the noble tree of the forest, the sacred tree. And I read in one book as well, where the trees that grew on the land where your ancestors lived, where they died and where they were buried, was almost seen like the, the reincarnation of the ancient people. So is this maybe treading on the ancestors of the other tribe mm. and you're making the statement? Like, you know, it's, it's more than just a simple, simple road. We go out and, and walk a little bit of the, of the trackway that goes from here. Absolutely. Yes. yes. Here we are. Yeah, we're standing directly over the actual trackway itself. So over a metre down, the ancient trackway continues on for another 80 metres then. I mean, the, obviously, the, you know, the end of Bordnamona has made a huge change around here. Yeah, absolutely. It's sad to see it away, like, you know, but time surely moves on, you know. So every time you walk out there, you just, I know, always think about what's, what's beneath us, you know. What lies beneath this bog might still be a mystery, but the inside space has mysteries of its own. People have seen various things as well, you know, like silhouettes and shapes and whatever, yeah. We were here one day and there was a, an artist here and just happened to cup of tea and next thing heard this scream and came out to investigate what happened. And at this stage, his girlfriend was just coming into the building at the time, and I asked her, did she see anybody outside or whatever? Nobody to be seen. But every now and again, we get these little teasers, and it just reminds us that there's somebody keeping an eye on us.
Sunday morning I came to St John's Church of Ireland churchyard here in Edgewardstown to remember Mariah Edgeworth and Oscar Wilde's young beloved sister Isola who died of fever at the age of 10 in 1866 and is buried here. She died at the home of her Aunt Margaret Noble uh, in the rectory nearby and Oscar Wilde himself often visited here when he died in Paris. The few things in his possession was an envelope containing strands of his young sister's hair and of course he wrote that beautiful poem for her. And it goes, tread lightly, she is near, under the snow. Speak gently, she can hear the daisies grow. All her bright golden hair, tarnished with rust. She that was young and fair, fallen to dust. Peace, peace, she cannot hear. Liar or sonnet. All my life's buried here, heaped earth upon it. Uh, My name is Matt Farrell. I'm president of the Edgewood Society. And Oscar was 12, I think, and she was 10. That's correct. And she yeah. died, and that bond was very strong. And then the church, of course, was the church of the Edwards, and Mariah's father, I think, famously uh, helped to put up a spire the spire. There, yeah. The Edgeworth family were generally considered good and progressive landlords, and some of the family history is traced in the Mariah Edgeworth Centre in the town. The famous writer of Castle Rackrent traced the decline of her own class and drew a cast of famous writers to the county. Walter Scott and Keats were among the visitors here. And it's also the church where Henry Essex Edgeworth's father uh, was the rector here. And in the early 1700s he converted to Catholicism. And he had to leave Edgeworthstown and was taken in to the Jesuit order in Toulouse, where his son, born here in Edgeworthstown, went on to be known as the Abe de Fermont. And he administered the last rites to Louis XVI at the guillotine in 1792. And he also uh, administered to Marie Antoinette. And before her death, she gifted her ring to the Abbey Edgeworth and he, at his death, gifted it to the Bishop of Meath, and it's held by the museum in Mullingar, Marie Antoinette's ring. So strands and strands of connection spiralling out from here and back again. You're listening to The County Measure, and we're in County Longford. So, um, so we've just come down down the main street, and we're just we're just before you cross the River Inny to go towards Monagar. There's a little left at where two old mills that have been changed into housing um, apartments, and then we're just going to go down to the riverside here. Longford has a rich, sometimes overlooked, literary heritage. Oliver Goldsmith set a world of drama, character, and poetry in these landscapes. Contemporary voices like Noel Monaghan, Belinda McKeown and John Connell continue that tradition. And now, writing brilliantly out of this place, from his new home in Berlin, is Adrian Duncan, author of novels like The Geometer Lobachevsky and A Sabbatical in Leipzig. We meet in his hometown of Ballymahan. It's a lovely town, that this yeah. main street is a kind of classic planned yeah, yeah, landlord. Yeah. Town oh, market town, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, our claim, of course, is that it's the widest street in Ireland, like many others. <laughs> like many others. M- most would say yes. the same, but obviously they're all wrong and we're right. <laughs> and <laughs> no, and uh, no one has yeah. ever thought to actually take out a measuring tape and just solve this. You know. Adrian is a structural engineer by training, and he's also written about the bungalow bliss phenomenon of the 1970s in Ireland. Obviously, this, these landscapes still mean an awful lot to you. People have talked about that international aspect of your writing in the novel set in Berlin, mm, Bilbao, mm. and Leipzig, and here and there. But mm. but there's this grid line of connection yeah. back to here, isn't yeah. there? Back yeah. to Ballymahan and to the the landscapes around it. Ballymahan and Lanesborough, the two sort of uh, force points or whatever, and then the line between them it goes through bogs, and those bogs are full of images and meaning for me that I don't kind of understand, and that my, when I'm writing, that's what I'm doing, and going back to this place I don't understand. 
but I feel energy off it all the time. So let's say, for instance, you know, like a sabbatical in Leipzig, there's a lot of talk of a man with, a, with a, four other men leaning on their slains with bogland behind them. And that's a huge thing that goes on through the book and it's repeated and returned to. So that's essentially like me rehearsing the bog stuff that I would have seen with my grandmother, which was hand-turned domestic bog stuff. But then the other side of the road, that was all industrialised bog when I was young and it was being harvested for the power station in the distance. So that's, that's what I'm returning with the writing. But then that image that I wrote about in a spat in Leipzig with these four men and the bog landing behind, at the start of the John Lobachevsky, that image reappears but you go over the shoulders of the men into the land and then that's where that thing begins that's where that book begins in that landscape that's a swamp and then if you bring a a man from uh, Russia into it um, and I know what that feeling of being an outsider but it's inverted I'm in Germany and I'm outside but what would that look like to a Russian in the 50s I was interested in how can I go into the lower levels of being a human that we all share and we and all how, have how he sees the physical world yeah, too exactly yeah. yeah what does it mean to come back now adrian from berlin to here um does it still feel like coming home in a way oh yeah yeah absolutely yeah i mean i still feel completely at home and probably most comfortable here to be perfectly honest you know like even just coming into Ballyman, just chatting for a while is like it's lovely and you realize that that part of language when you're kind of saying nothing but saying a lot I do miss that, you know, the sort of uselessness of it, you know. The but ease in a way of what, and the what's ease of unsaid it, yeah. and doesn't need to be said, yeah, it's understood. Yeah, it doesn't need to be said, yeah. Like when I'm in Berlin, there's just, there's, the communication is, there's obviously some sort of point to it, you know, like where you're trying to get something repaired or whatever, um, or you're trying to order a drink or whatever it is. But like the thing of just like standing around and chit-chatting, I do miss that because the language of that is it's just, it's very enjoyable. You don't really think about it if, when you're living here. And I realised actually just across the way from the river, the other side of the bridge there one day I came down here and I was decided to, I brought my diary in. I write a diary every day, it's, just, it's nothing, it's just like what happened, you know. And uh, this lady came over and <laughs> we t- chatted for about 20 minutes. And I realised that part of this chit-chat is just pure nosiness as well. <laughs> like, who are you? Um, what are you doing here? And what are you writing in that book? And what's, what's going on here, you know? And that's kind of very, very nice as well. I can imagine that over a period of time it could become a bit annoying, but uh, at that time I was like, you're just sort of thrilled to be even asked what you're doing and why you're here, you know? I think you had uh, friends maybe from... Uh, North or South Leitrim ribbing you about North Longford and coming up with a few classic lines. Yeah, yeah. We were driving around one of those parts of North Longford that you can't decide whether it's bleak or beautiful. One of the lads says, uh, yeah, North Longford, it's a, it's a lot like North Korea, but more conservative. <laughs> so um, I think there were a few fellas from North Longford with us, but they, they didn't take any offense. They found uh, yeah, it very funny. In, you couldn't not. Good couldn't spirits, not. yeah, yeah. It's not like us from South Longford are altogether more sophisticated than those from North Longford either, you know, but uh, we'd like yeah. to, of course, think we are. <laughs> About a mile outside of Ballyman in South County Longford, across the road from us was a large farmhouse owned by a farmer whose cousin, also a farmer, sold my parents the plot for their home, which they began to build themselves in 1977 or so. There's a photo of me as a newborn sitting on my young mother's lap, while in the background glows the concrete of our sitting room floor, it yet to be carpet tiled. To the right and left of our house appeared homes that came from the Bungalow Bliss Book of House Designs. These neighbouring houses were lived in by young families with whom we became good friends. These structures were all single storey, about 15 to 20 metres across and 10 metres deep. Each had a pitched roof of dark brown tiles. I would say each neighbour had between a half and three and a quarters of an acre of land. To the rear there was open farmland and this was where we would go to adventure. All of these houses had large horizontal windows on the front facade. The predominant window size was based on off-the-shelf concrete lintels and sills, made in large quantities by concrete companies that had begun as family affairs but grew with demand. During this period, there were more or less four standard window frames, and these were advertised in later editions of Bungalow Bliss. It became a one-stop shop for information on how to build a house. 
Unglobliss itself was first published in 1971 by a Jack Fitzsimons of Kells, County Meath. It was a book of house designs that buyers could use to build a home for themselves affordably. Over its 30-year lifetime, it sold a quarter of a million copies and produced a new vernacular in Irish housing, replacing much of the previous housing stock of one- or two-roomed cottages. Some saw these new houses as an architectural blight on the landscape. Others saw them as an important option for people hoping to dwell in Ireland. As our family grew, my parents added extensions to the original bungalow. In the newer part of the home, there is a framed aerial photograph of the house taken in the early 90s. Last year I found myself looking at this photograph for some time. In it sits the bungalow, my father's engineering office, to the front of which lies a mound of turf, delivered there by my uncle. From front to back across our site span two electrical wires, drooping from between two timber poles. The more I looked at this photograph, the more I realised that these things and spaces are the objects of a fascination that has sustained me for over a decade now as an artist and a writer. Home, in this case then, becomes a place where my fascinations most reverberate. Standing in the shelter of St. Patrick uh, in what was its Anglo-Norman fortification 12th century uh, overlooking Granard and with a span out over apparently over nine counties five lakes somewhere to be seen and actually it blooms too misty today but absolutely beautiful and of course uh, linked to uh, the Thorn Thorn Bowl Coolinay here and Queen Maeve Rathcrown not too far away but this is supposedly one of the places where Maeve where they stopped in the famous cattle raid journey and you can just imagine it you can just imagine how they saw the land how they saw Ireland from here and what we see today Looking down over the town, the spire of the Catholic Church, the grotto beneath us, so much that's held in mist and rain and memory. Longford Slashes, Dramard, St Mary's, Granard, Shannon Gales. Club football is alive and thriving in Longford. And if the county team doesn't feature much in Croke Park finals, the spirit of the GAA is as strong here as anywhere in the country. Clongish and Kilo meet in the senior final at Pierce Park in Longford Town. And though Kilo win the day and take the Sean Connolly Cup. The day belongs to everyone. This is the big day in Longford football. <laughs> it's uh, very exciting. The kids are all here now. We meet Declan Rowley, former Longford County player and chair of the Kilo Young Emmets GAA team before kickoff. We sort of nearly look forward to this every year to have a go at this. And it means that if you get here every year, it means... I suppose the parish, the parish have succeeded. So we're, we're very much judged on our football rather than anything else in the kilo. There's <laughs> your side now. Uh, and I mean, you can see the excitement around the county. The flags flying, you know, cars in different colours. It's just lovely. That's yeah. a real sense of community represented by the football. Yeah, I, I often say that the GE is a sort of a, a glue that sticks a parish together anymore because there's not that many things that pulls a parish together especially in rural areas and the GEA certainly does that and it does so much in our area as well you know at the end of the day it's almost a status symbol within a rural parish that you're on the GEA team or you're associated with it of course and I, I believe the women's final was great yeah the, yeah the women's final was fantastic and again 
the team that that we're playing, that Killore are playing in the singer final, Clangish Ladies, they were in the final against Longford Slashers and they won five in a row. And they're at the present they're all Ireland intermediate champions. So it's it's interwoven between ages and gender and people. And it's great also to see the kind of new multicultural Longford reflected in the team makeup in lots of the lots of cases. Yeah, absolutely. And you know there there is a, a great sprinkling of that. I was previously principal in St Mel's, the the local boys' school here, and we would have had maybe thirty different nationalities, and encouraging a lot of them to play GEA, uh, get involved at club level bring them through because we need that because our numbers are small at parish level and at, at county level so we have to maximise the resources that we have I was so taken by a photo in the Longford Leader in advance of the, the senior final later and you have the two the captains of the two teams today uh, Ronan Sweeney Conglish and Kean Farley Kilo, and they're meeting here with the cup the Sean Connolly Cup near the border of the parishes that link it's just a, it's yeah. a wonderful photo yeah, and absolutely. it's been again the best of, of sportsmanship it is and you know they're, they're actually meeting at a point where the two parishes meet uh, but th- there would be intense rivalry there is that Cahan Cross Cahan Cross Cahan Cross yes. and then the two lads Ronan and Kean would have went to St Mel's I would have had them as students there'd be great rivalry for this hour but after that you'll see them in the pubs tomorrow drinking a pint together <laughs> a good day to be had anyway oh it'll be a great day and yeah. there'll be a great atmosphere here and the stands will fill now as the, as the senior match as the approaches senior match uh, the stands will fill and there'll be a huge atmosphere This same thing happens in every county all over the country and in every small community. Maybe it's a bit of tribalism, a little pride in the parish. It's a bit of a chance for the parish to stick its chest out for one day in the year because we're sort of all going in different directions and very busy. And this is one time to unify a, a parish. Longford holds a power of people, place and possibility. There are no deserted villages in the county today. The population is growing year on year. The energy that holds and drives the young women and men of the GAA mixes with the spirit of reflection you find here, the secular and sacred seemingly at ease, that reflective ease found in cathedral and field, on old bog paths, in church ruins and on the busy streets. I left this county with fresh eyes on so much, the spirit lifted by encounters and kindness. This land has a power, and sometimes the power is almost beyond measure. (laughs) 